Well, good morning, everyone. So happy to be here with you today. So there's a story that was told a long time ago about a rich man and a poor man. Now, this rich man wasn't just any rich man. He had everything he could ever want. He had everything he could ever imagine. He had land. He had animals. He, he had whatever he wanted. And then there was a poor man. We don't know how close this poor man was to the rich man in proximity, but we know that they were pretty close. You had this poor man that had pretty much nothing. But the main possession he did have that he loved so much was a little lamb. He had one little lamb. And this little lamb, he, he treated like a child. He raised it up. He, he looked at it as family. That's how much this man cared about this little lamb. Now, one day, the rich man had a traveler come to his house. And when the traveler came, the rich man decided, well, I should probably throw him a feast of some kind. So instead of going and using any of the plethora of animals that he had, he went straight to the poor man's house, snuck in, stole that little baby lamb, killed it, cooked it up, and made it for the traveler instead of using any of all that he had. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, wow, that's just horrible. Thank you for starting off Sunday morning with a terrible story. You're welcome. It's just beyond vile that, that a man would stoop to that level, stealing that poor man's lamb. And even worse, didn't just steal it, he ate it. And you know what? King David also shared how angry he was when he heard this story. If you thought that story sounded familiar, this is actually directly out of 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 14. So Nathan came to King David and shared this exact story. And King David's response was this in 2 Samuel 12 says, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So it says David, David's anger was greatly kindled. He was furious about what that rich man did to the poor man. But immediately after David shared this, Nathan says this in verse 7. Nathan said to David, you, David, are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. If this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and had killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So David was so blinded by his hatred towards the rich man in this story, hearing about another man's sinfulness, he wanted revenge and was unable to see this story was actually about him all along. David is the rich man in the story. David, the rich man, stole Uriah's wife Bathsheba and then had Uriah sent to the front lines of a battle so that he was sure to die in the end of it. He was so blinded by someone else's sin 
that he failed to see his own. So even as we think through both of these stories, we might even have the tendency to be David about David. I can't believe David did that to poor Uriah. Man, he got what he deserved when God punished him in the end of it. But as we think that, are we not doing exactly what David did? Infuriated by someone else's sin when sin might be lingering in our, our, our own hearts and our own minds and lives. So this morning as we continue in our series in Luke, we get to see what Jesus has to say about this exact matter. What he needs us to hear and understand this morning about understanding our own sinfulness. How we respond differently when we do understand it. It can be easy for me to be like David. Even this morning, as I was driving in here, you know, praying and getting ready for, for preaching, and this guy drives through a light, literally staring at his cell phone as he's driving through a light. I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Really? Seriously, guy? As you're driving down the road, and I'm like, ooh, text message. And I pick up my phone, and I'm like, oh, look. <laughs> Doing the exact same thing and not even realizing it. So it can be easy for me to be like David. Without thinking, I can be condemning and judging someone else in their nasty sin when my sin is just as nasty, glaring me right in the face. When I lose sight of my sinfulness, it clouds my judgment. Being able to properly live like Christ, properly judge, properly forgive, properly give, follow, and lead in our lives. So how about you this morning? So as we walk through this incredible passage in Luke, I pray that you would be processing the areas in your life that you might be blinded. Just like I can be at times, be blinded to the truth of the sinfulness that we may have. And then the way that we approach others in theirs with this acknowledgement. When others fail in sin, are we willing to forgive? Or do we, have, do, do we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts for those people? Are we willing to give of ourselves and our resources even when someone might, deserve, might not deserve it? Or are we keeping it to ourselves? Are we truly reflecting Christ in the way that we're living today? Following the example of our teacher? Or do we look more like the world? So our passage this morning has four points that we're going to be walking through that hopefully will help us understand the way that we're living in these areas today. Number one is I would say the overarching point to this sermon, and that is acknowledging our own sin. It's point number one. And then underneath that, it's by acknowledging our own sin by forgiving and giving that we're going to see in verses 37 and 38. Being aware and being prepared in verses 39 and 40. And then by discerning, growing, and learning in verses 41 and 42. So again, acknowledging sin, forgiving, giving, being aware, being prepared by discerning, growing, and learning. So this morning we together 
need to try to shift our perspective, ensuring that we understand our own sin and failings to better love others in theirs. Shift the perspective from the way the world views judging, condemning, forgiving, giving, and changing the way that we see other sinfulness when ours is seen first. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, Lord, we are so thankful and grateful to be here. Thank you for the breath in our lungs. Thank you for the lives that we have. God, even when life can be hard, even in our brokenness, just knowing that there is joy, there is joy in in our salvation, that we know that what you have done for us, Jesus has rescued us and set us free. So I pray this morning, Lord, as as we think through ways we can better honor you and serve you with our lives, that your good news, your gospel would be at the forefront of all of it knowing that through you, Jesus, there is no condemnation, but also that we should desire to understand our failings so that we can look more like you. Love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't yet, go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have one, to Luke chapter 6. You have the Pew Bible right in front of you if you don't have one. I'll be honest, I have no idea what page it's on. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 6, starting in verse 37. says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. So the very first line in our passage this morning can easily be skewed by the way culture defines judgment. Sorry, my iPad is losing it right now. So I hear it all the time, as I'm sure you do as well. The phrase, don't judge me. Don't judge me, don't condemn me. You don't know me. You don't know me. Stay in your own lane, mind your own business. With that being said, it's important together that we understand the judgment being discussed in this passage. The judgment being defined here is by scripture, not culture. This first phrase is not saying never to judge, but the introduction to the way we should be examining ourselves before ever entering into judging someone else. So these first commands aren't a battle cry for tolerance. This isn't a battle cry for tolerance, but a shift in perspective to desire to understand truth. Thinking the best of those that are around you. Truly desiring to assist them in the areas they might be failing. Judging not by worldly standards, condemning not by worldly standards, Or in other words, are you judging someone's motives or behaviors while not rightly judging yourself in comparison to the person that you're judging? Are you judging someone's motives or behaviors while not rightly judging yourself in comparison to the person you're judging? Basically saying, 
I would never do that. I can't believe them, guy on your cell phone staring down while you're going through the light. I cannot believe that. True loving correction is a posture. True loving judgment is a posture of the heart. As we said before, it's a shift in perspective, ensuring we understand our own sin and failings to better love others and theirs. It's the way that you go about it that matters. Are you stepping in the door understanding your own sin, desiring the best for others, or is it just a cry for revenge and judgment just like David did? It's never appropriate to assign blame or motive to another person. But there are times biblical correction and judgment are necessary. Again, this passage is not saying don't judge ever. That's not what it's saying. 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So in this verse, Paul's talking about people in the church that are sinning and going against God, right? He's making the point that brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to judge each other, but doing, doing it correctly, loving one another in that so that they can return to a proper relationship with Jesus. But first starting off here, he says, we're not supposed to be judging non-believers, right? That's why I said at the beginning, like this isn't a cultural perspective of this. This is a biblical perspective. Because right here, this is saying, don't judge non-believers starting off with. We're supposed to be judging brothers and sisters in Christ. If someone hasn't put their faith and trust in Christ, why would we expect them to live for Christ? Our heart and desire should be to point them to the gospel to build relationships with them so that they can see the truth of who Jesus is. So they can see why we live our lives to honor Christ. But in this verse, it makes it abundantly clear we should, out of love and desire for restoration, properly judge brothers and sisters in Christ. As we've seen so far, though, there has to be an acknowledgement of our own sin in this. And when we see it, we see judging is out of love. We're all in need of a savior from our brokenness. And it ends this verse with forgive. Taking us to our second point. So it said, don't judge, uh, judge not... Don't be judged, condemned not, won't be condemned. And then right away, it takes us into this, the rest of this verse saying, forgive. It gives us examples of how we're supposed to respond to others' sin. Instead of judging and condemning improperly. So what a powerful way to continue on in this section of Scripture. We have an initial picture painted of acknowledging our sinfulness, not giving into the temptation of judging as the world does, but also forgive and you will be forgiven. A completely upside down response to what the world thinks justice should look like. 
forgive much as we have been forgiven much. There's a parable that Jesus shares in Matthew 18. And in this parable, he says there's a master and he brings his servant before him and says, servant, you owe me a lot of money. I want you to pay that money back. Pay it back right now. And the guy's like, no, no, no. Hey, ma master, listen, give me time. Please give me time. Let, give me an opportunity to pay you back. I want to pay you back. And the master had pity on him. He said, you know what? Instead, how about I forgive you of your debt? Go, be forgiven. So this servant leaves. Uh, you gotta be thinking, he's jumping for joy. Yes, I don't have to pay that money back. That's awesome. And he runs into another guy and goes, hey guy, you owe me money. And this other guy goes, whoa, 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 hold on. Please give me time. Please just give me time. And he's like, no, uh-uh, I'm not giving you time. No, you pay me back right now. Could you please just give me a, no, go to jail. So this guy gets sent to jail for not paying him back. Well, the master hears about it, brings the servant before him and goes, how dare you? How dare you? I just forgave you everything and you won't forgive another brother? How dare you? And throws him in jail. The reason Jesus shares this parable is because he wants us to understand what he has done for us and what we should do in return. We all owed a debt that could never be paid by us. We all deserve the guillotine for the crimes that we have committed against our perfect God. But by believing in Jesus' shed blood on the cross and resurrection from the grave, our debt has been fully and completely forgiven. This being the case, how much more should we forgive others? In acknowledging our sinfulness that we should be judged, we should be condemned, we shouldn't be forgiven, it should change the way that we see others desiring the best for them, desiring to point back to truth instead of incorrectly judging and condemning, loving by forgiving. From this, we see our first point, continue on with giving. So we have acknowledging our sin, forgiving and giving. In verse 38, it says, give and it will be given to you. So this gives us another example of the way we should respond to others when we understand how little we deserve. We've been given everything. Why should we ever hold back from others at all? Our debt has been paid. We have been forgiven. Shouldn't we desire then to give? Desire to give of ourselves for others, our resources, our time, our everything. Because as I've said several times now, we have to shift our perspective, ensuring we understand our own sin and failings to better love others in theirs. To the world, you judge all day long. That's just a part of living in culture. Why should you forgive that guy? They messed up. It's their fault. Should be no forgiveness there. Why should I give? This is my stuff. I earned this. They don't deserve that. Especially, did you see what they did? 
Yeah, they don't deserve anything from me. Jesus is pointing to us to the complete opposite understanding of these things. Acknowledge your sinfulness and in the understanding of what you've been forgiven, you forgive in the understanding of what you've been given, you give. Which takes us to our motivation in all of this. We're motivated to live out this life of correct judging, forgiving, and giving because of the immense outpour of blessings that have been given to us. Even in the hardest moments in our lives, we've been given more than we could ever imagine. Verse 38, continuing. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. So in this example, Jesus is using the analogy of grain. And the people at that time would have understand, uh, understood it really well. It says here, it's given by God. That this, the immense blessings we have been given are given by God. A good measure, meaning it's not small at all. Pressed down so it fills up all the spaces. Shaken so the grain will settle completely to fill the space. And that says it's overflowing. So at the time when they're wearing their robes, when it would overflow, they would have to catch the excess in their robes. And that's what this is saying. It's saying the blessings that we are be have been given are more abundant than we could ever understand. How many of you live in Larimer County? Anyone willing to admit that? No, I'll cut, I'll cut. Wow, no one raised their hands. That's okay. Because I was going to make a joke about Larimer County, so you're all good. I was just going to say, so if you're from Larimer County, you probably love espresso. And it's just because it seems like that's like a hipster thing to love right now. Like you go in your coffee shop with the guy with the, the little mustache wearing the plaid shirt. It's just like, it's a really cool thing to do. I can't talk much because I love espresso. The reason I bring up espresso, you're probably like, why has he said espresso so many times so far? Is because this analogy reminds me of that. If you've ever made espresso before, you take those little, super finely ground beans and you put it in that little cup, right? And you want to shake that little cup around, make sure it all sells down. You take your tamper and you put it and you tamp it down as much as you can. You put more in there and you shake it around and you tamp it down and put more in. And when you do that, it brings out this incredible overflowing flavor from the coffee because it was full to the brim. It was tamped down. That's what it reminds me of with this grain analogy. Might not be the best analogy, but I thought it was. It struck home with me. <laughs> We've been given more than we can fathom. And from this, our lives look differently. We look more like our Savior. We live more like our Savior because of all we've been given by our Savior. Taking us to our third point, be aware and be prepared. Verses 39 and 40. Verse 39 says this. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? So up to this point, we've seen Jesus pointing us to acknowledge our own sinfulness, which will then produce a heart desiring to forgive and give. Now leading us to warning about what can occur if this sin is not acknowledged, if we don't see the truth of our own sinfulness. We need to be aware if we're living in sin, 
while trying to lead someone else, both parties will fail. They will fall and fail. And I love this visual Jesus gives. This is, he always gives such good visuals. But what a more perfect example of the utter ruin that can occur if someone is judging another incorrectly, leading someone incorrectly. Someone living in their sin, trying to lead someone else in their sin, what's gonna happen? It's just disaster. So what this made me think of, you're all like, oh no, here we go. So when I was growing up, there was this rapper named KJ52. Has anyone ever heard of KJ52? Yeah, super obscure. One line he said has stuck with me through, I mean, obviously it's, it's in this sermon, but it just, it blew my mind when I heard it. It's like, wow, that, that's just, it's crazy. And the line he uses is, why is there Braille at a drive-up ATM? And all of you are thinking, you're like, oh yeah, there is. Why is there Braille at drive-up ATM? So this made me think of this, this example of blind leading the blind. It was like, what scenario would take place that a blind man would need to use the Braille at the ATM? It's like, okay, you have two blind buddies that get in a car together. Like, okay, let's figure out a way to drive to maybe they can put on GPS and they can just hear where to turn. I don't know. But I feel like the second they get in the vehicle, turn it on and go, it's disaster. They're bound to hit something. Now, let's say they get to First Bank and they're getting to go into the ATM. What, First Bank has that giant curve around it, right? What's going to happen the second they come in? My whole point with this is when blind lead the blind in any way, it will lead to disaster. You're probably thinking, wow, that was really intricate story to get across this small verse. And yes, but I want the point to sink in. If we don't acknowledge our own sinfulness, we can lead others to destruction. Be aware of who you might be leading blindly or even who might be leading you blindly. Is there sin in our lives we aren't seeing as we lead others? Are we blindly leading people today? Or are people blindly leading you? I talk to students about this all the time. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? If it's not scripture, if it's not scripturally based and someone is telling you how to live your life, how do you know it's not the blind leading the blind? How do you know it's not someone leading you to destruction? Understanding our sinfulness, understanding, this, the, understanding the sinfulness of the world and how easily it can be to lead or be led blindly. It takes us to the next part of our point. Be prepared. Verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when is fully trained will be like his teacher. From the previous example of the blind leading the blind, we're thrust into this next verse, helping us to know how to ensure we're not blind or being led by the blind. We must be prepared and do that. And to do that, we have to be trained up. We need to listen to, we need to learn from and desire to daily reflect our teacher so we can live out everything that we just talked about. We can acknowledge sin, forgive, give, not be blind, not be led by the blind, 
prepared by our teacher. And our teacher and mentor being Jesus. The gospel enables us to reflect Jesus. We should daily strive to be a good representation of him in the way that we act, look, speak, always desiring to share the love of Christ by looking like Christ. Not judging like the world, not condemning like the world, forgiving, giving. Church, these truths this morning help remind us that we're called to live differently. We're called to look differently. Not so we can just be better, not so you can look better, but it's to honor our teacher. It's to honor our savior with our lives. And in reflecting him, we are sharing a different story with the world that they haven't heard before. A story of forgiveness, a story of love, and the most glorious blessing of all time being the gospel. That overflowing grain, the blessing of the gospel and what Jesus did. This good news of Jesus that sets us free if we put our faith and trust in him. The gospel is what drives us to desire to honor Christ daily with our lives. Knowing what he did for us should cause us to want to look more like our teacher being prepared to step into the world, living like Christ, looking like Christ. Take against our last verses and last point, 41 and 42, be discerning, always growing and learning. Verse 41 says, 41 and 42, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself don't see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. So after everything we've seen so far, Jesus again gives us a really memorable example. Calling us to be discerning in all of this about our sin taking us full circle back to not acknowledging our sin. Trying to correct others in theirs. It's like a giant tree sticking out of your eye. When we don't see our sin like David didn't see his, like we can potentially not see ours if we don't look like our teacher, we can't see clearly at all. We're blinded. The blind leading the blind to destruction. Jesus is making it crystal clear for us here that before we can ever think about judging another properly, we need to see the sin in our own lives that clouds our vision. We need to see that tree. See how we're looking like the world in that moment, not Christ. Maybe see our lack of forgiveness and giving. See our blindness. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. How dare you correct another while living in your sin? But even in that still calls each of us in love through this whole section to pull out the plank by looking to the only one who can actually take it out. 
We need to be discerning of what's happening in our own lives. Take the time to evaluate where we're at. Take the time to understand the blind spots in our lives where we might be failing and falling. Understanding it's only by God and through God we have hope in our sins at all. Jesus gives to us when we deserve nothing. Jesus leads us through the darkness in our blindness and teaches us how to live this out. At the beginning of our time together, I asked you to process some things as we went through the sermon, the areas we might be blinded, blinded to the truth of our own sinfulness and the way that we approach others and theirs. So when others fail in sin, are we willing to forgive? Or do we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts? Are we willing to give of ourselves and our resources, even when someone might not deserve it? Or are we keeping it all to ourselves? Are we truly reflecting Christ in the way we're living today? Following the example of our teacher, or do we look more like the world? And church, I can tell you that without Jesus, none of this is possible. It's by his grace alone that we can live out a new life by him and through him. But it doesn't mean it's easy to live this out. It's so much easier to live like the world and just judge. It's so much easier to hold a grudge and not forgive someone. It's so much easier just not to give at all. It's easier, but we're called as followers of Christ to live differently. We're people that have been made alive with Christ. We should desire to reflect that. I pray that you would this week desire to acknowledge the sin in your life so that you can better forgive and give. Be aware and be prepared by discerning always desiring to follow our Savior, growing and learning. Let's pray. God, again, thank you for this time. Thank you for this, um, this incredible um, part of your word. God, I pray that you would uh, just help us to think about that this week. Think about this week where we're at, God, maybe the areas in our life that we are blinded to our sin, that before we ever approach another brother or sister, that we need to be aware, discerning of where we are at so that we can be a resource to help others. God, I pray that you would reveal those areas in our lives so we could better serve and honor you. Love you and praise you, Jesus' name.